Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We're headed to the home stretch of football season and basketball is in full swing. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the action this year. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast welcome in everybody it is tuesday december 14th according to my count may not be that according to your count we've got a fun show today with our friend juju talk sports massive sports nerd head of the slump buster podcast and uh Guy, I co-host a podcast with every week. So you can check that out uh, over on the Slump Buster YouTube. Again, the link to that is in the description to today's episode, as it always is under our Comical Sports link tree tab, which I try to include in every description. Sometimes I forget, but 75% of the time we, we have the description, and today we will definitely have it. So check out the Slump Buster YouTube if you want more content like what we're doing here. This was a really cool episode we had last week on the Slump Buster podcast. Uh, It dropped on Saturday. We had a big college football talk because of all of the Mario Cristobal stuff that went down around this time and ended up talking NBA a little bit. It's a fun podcast, and I'm happy that the Slump Buster takeover gets to once again take over here on the Take It Easy podcast. So I'm going to stop talking here and cede the floor to our buddy Juju Talk Sports and technically myself for a slump buster takeover here on Take It Easy. Welcome in slump busters. Welcome in Kyle Ledbetter here to defend your take on Bryce Young being one of the weakest Heisman candidates in college football history. How does your day Heisman, go, my friend? You mean the Heisman Trophy winner? Yeah. So for, for people who are looking for context here, who maybe are missing out by not following all the wonderful content over on the Slump Buster YouTube account, other than these wonderful podcasts, of course, in our Alabama, Georgia recap, I, I dropped a subtle line that Bryce Young is going to win the Heisman, even though it's one of the weaker Heisman Trophy winners that we've ever had. And uh, I, I stand by this very much so because this is one of the few things that actually got me. Usually I just ignore internet comments or just like play into 
to it when someone's like, your page is terrible. And I'm like, yeah, that's totally fair. Page is really bad. I don't know why I do this. But all of that to say, this one got me because I'm like, you're mad at me for saying it, but you're not proposing like any counterfact to this. And I went like, go back 10 years. In the last 10 years, this doesn't have to be Bryce Young is bad. This just has to be Bryce Young is not better than all of the really, really good players that have been in college football the last 10 years. If you take out last year and Devonta Smith, because I think that might be the weakest Heisman Trophy winner of the last 20 years, if you want to go further back than that. But yes, Alabama fans, if you want to say in history, fine, you have proven me wrong. There are two people worse than Bryce Young in the last 50 years. Congratulations. You you got me on that. I was thinking back just in my head right now, and I think there's a guy from Florida State in the 90s. It's like Chris like Winky or something like that. Chris Winky. Yes, uh, that name does ring some bells there. I think it wouldn't surprise me. I want to say he like played like a backup for the Niners or something like I know the Niners had a bunch of terrible backup quarterbacks in the early he 2000s. He was also, if I remember correctly, 27 years old when he won the Heisman. And this is not a joke. Like, I think he was genuinely 27 years old with the year he won the Heisman. That so brings up Brandon Whedon comparisons there. That's fair. Brandon Whedon, who, by the way, beat Andrew Luck in a Fiesta Bowl 10 years ago, which it's just stupid to say. Every time I think of Brandon Whedon, I'm like, he, he got drafted in the first round just by beating Andrew Luck in, in a Fiesta Bowl. But yeah, it was the best Oklahoma State season ever until this year where Oklahoma State was one inch, four inches about about this. I mean, again, this is an audio medium, but about this short from getting into the college football playoff. So it was the best Oklahoma State season since Brandon Whedon. Brandon Whedon did not win the Heisman, by the way, for people playing this game, because if he did, Brandon Whedon would definitely be the weakest Heisman Trophy winner of the last 10 years. Wasn't he like top five or was am I just mistaking his draft position? He was he was really good that year. Again, he was like 28 years old playing college football. But yeah, Brandon Whedon was that year behind RG3 won the Heisman that year. So this was 2011. So RG3 won the Heisman. Andrew Luck was up there somewhere. I want to say this was post Mark Ingram. So I don't think Mark Ingram could have won the Heisman that year. Someone from Alabama was probably up there. I can't remember. Oh, AJ McCarron was there. So AJ McCarron was probably somewhere near the top of the Heisman voting. Did LSU have anyone good at that? I don't think LSU had anyone good back then. The next year would be the Manti Teow year, but I don't think Manti (laughs) Teow was top five in 2011. 11. So Whedon's probably up there. He's at least a name that we remember from that season. One thing I was thinking about, though, when I was seeing someone in the comments did post Bryce Young's stats, could it be a little bit of recency bias just based off him coming off of that Auburn game, recent evaluation of Bryce Young there? Also, too, is it along the thought process that we went into the year with our idea of the Heisman favorites kind of got turned on its head real quick as the season progressed? I mean, we thought Spence Rattler was going to be up there. We thought Keaton Slovis was going to be up there there. JT Daniels is going to be up there. And in the end, the only one that really stood out was Bryce Young when it was all said and done. Yeah, Bryce Young is probably getting a little bit of of bad mojo from that one. But even still, like I just thinking back to the start of the year, like Bryce Young was someone who everyone knew by name, but no one had watched him play, obviously. And he was a five star recruit. Five star quarterbacks go to Alabama now because that's the thing that happens in college football now is that not only is Alabama getting five star everything, they get five star quarterbacks who hey, they also go to USC now too. Lincoln Riley's 
is securing that bag. Bryce Young, fun fact, committed to USC, decommitted from USC, and then went to Alabama. He's from the Los Angeles area. So don't blame him. Clay Helton versus Nick Saban. I think I'll take my chances with old St. Nick. Especially because you knew it was going to be the lame duck year for Clay Helton, where everyone knew he was going to get fired. By the way, do you know where Clay Helton is now? Yeah, he, he is coaching the Georgia Southern Eagles now over in the Sun Belt Conference. So Ooh, Clay fun. Helton got a job. I remember writing about them kicking my alma mater's ass. Shout out to NMSU football. Who <laughs> joined Conference USA. Hey, we're moving up in the world. We actually have a conference now. We're definitely the weakest independent team in college football. Literally, I don't know, 126 out of 126 or whatever the number is now. Speaking of people that got new jobs, though, Mario Cristobal, Miami. What do you think about that one? A seamless transition right there by you. I think this is kind of the pinnacle on the coaching cycle, right? We had Lincoln Riley leave a very good job at Oklahoma to go to SC. Brian Kelly leave to go to LSU and Mario Cristobal. Technically the third of three in this. Like Mario Cristobal has the the least track record of the three coaches that we're talking about here. He's obviously been to a Rose Bowl with Justin Herbert, who he did not recruit to Oregon. He's been in the Pac-12 title game three times in four years. So obviously he has some track record there. He's going to make $8 million a year at Miami just for people keeping track at home. It's a 10-year, $80 million contract for Mario Cristobal. Also, you can throw Brett Venables in the mix because Brent Venables has turned down like good like four or five power five head coaching jobs in the past to stay at Clemson. Uh, and now he's going to Oklahoma. Miami's getting the athletic director from Clemson, Dan Radakovich. Uh, he's coming down to Miami. So Clemson, you know, their dynasty is being dismantled here. By the time people are listening to this, Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, might be the head coach at Virginia or something like that. So all of this is dismantling ever so slightly in Clemson, which I found interesting this week. Uh, in terms of Miami, what's really interesting is the University of Miami went from basically operating like a Vanderbilt or like a Stanford for 10 to 15 years where we're like athletics are just an economic vehicle for the school to now in like one coaching cycle saying, okay, now we're willing to spend like a big time college football program with a big time athletic budget, which Miami technically has, even though they've operated like a Virginia or like an NC state for years now in, you know, where we don't have the money Clemson has. We don't have the money Louisville has. We don't have the money Florida State has. We don't have the money that SEC schools have. That's now changed for Miami. And it reminds me a lot of where Clemson was about a decade ago when they decided they wanted to get back in the big game hunting of college football. And that's what's happening for Miami now. Will it work out? I don't know. The good news for them, they play in a conference and a division that has no other teams spending even close to the athletic budget that they are at. Does that guarantee they're going to win the ACC Coastal every year? It doesn't. Sometimes, like we saw this year, sometimes you can have Florida State, Louisville, and Clemson in the same division, and Wake Forest is going to find a way to win the ACC Atlantic. It's going to happen every now and then. But Miami from about, not next year, from 2023 onward, should probably expect to play in the ACC Championship game pretty much every single year. Well, if you're competing in the ACC Championship, then you have the possibility, not saying this is a guarantee, of course, but you have the possibility of at least being a top 10 program, which is that Miami's goals? Do they want to get back to that national title promised land that they were once in in the late 90s, early 2000s? Of course. I just wonder if Mario Cristobal is necessarily that guy. Certainly going to a weaker conference, he has more opportunity than going to a improving Pac-12, obviously making the big hire in Riley there at USC. Oregon's now in a position where they could go back to being little brother in that conference. And certainly um, we'll see what happens with Utah. I heard Kyle Whittingham is considering retiring after this bowl game. If that happens, 
happens, then that could certainly turn their program on its head. I do like the move of them going to Miami when I really looked at the other surrounding factors, obviously from there, played there. His mom is living in Southern Florida too, and she's kind of in her later years. So, you know, certainly being around family, I can't fault a guy for wanting to go down there for that. And if they're going to offer you, like you said, 10-year, $80 million deal, it's a no-brainer. Even with Phil Knight, even with Oregon's money, I, I think it's a no-brainer. Now that leaves the question of how desirable of a location is Oregon moving forward. I've heard some rumors, Chip Kelly, Joe Brady's been talking about now that he's oh, free from God. Carolina. Oh, God. Um, Chip Kelly. <laughs> Chip Kelly. That, that I mean, sounds hey. like just the internet making up fun stuff there. There's that, that would be insane if he ends up going there. Would it? I mean, obviously, yes. Oregon has never had a higher peak than when Chip Kelly was their head coach. This is true, but Cristobal never got there this year, but they've had three different coaches in 10 years be a top three ranked team in the country. But each Oregon, one of those coaches trying to find that Chip Kelly magic in their time. Why not just hire Chip Kelly if you want Chip Kelly so bad? Hire Chip Kelly. Because I don't know if Oregon would want Chip Kelly back. Chip Kelly has not had the greatest reputation over the last decade as his offenses start to become more and more archaic, and he doesn't necessarily evolve with the times the same way Lovey Smith didn't evolve with the times and got basically cycled through everyone. Or Jason Garrett has not evolved with the times, and now he's about to go be the coach at Duke, it looks like at this point. So, you know, sometimes people phase out that way. Chip Kelly's had a, an okay run at UCLA. Like, yeah, they're going to to play in the holiday bowl this year down in San Diego, which is, you know, fine, I guess, like in a division where they get free wins against Colorado and Arizona and this year USC, like, okay, it's a a fine season there. But if I'm Oregon, like they've never ponied up for big coaching money. Obviously, Willie Taggart left for Florida State. Now, Cristobal moving on to go to uh, the University of Miami. And they fired Mark Helfrich, who went to a national championship. And Chip Kelly obviously went to a national championship at that program. And so to that point, I don't even think Oregon has to spend big because Oregon plays in a conference where their resource discrepancy is so big compared to the rest of the conference. And this is just, again, it's one major donor. It's Phil Knight. It's Nike money. That's what gets them in the game. Phil Knight really wants to build a like national power at Oregon because it's his school and and they have all those resources and them and USC are the I've said it for a couple of years now but it was especially true this year watching it USC and Oregon are the only programs like west of Texas that can compete at a national level in college football because of the resources that they have Washington can get good every now and then and get to like second or third tier but they can't quite get to the level that like a USC or an Oregon is at so if I'm Oregon like I go get like the best available assistant or I go and get, you know, maybe PJ Flack over at Minnesota. I know he just signed a contract extension or something like that. Here's the current Vegas betting odds. Chip Kelly plus 175. So he is the betting favorite at the moment. Justin Wilcox, the Cal head coach at plus 200. Joe Brady, as mentioned, plus 400. Brian Harson, Auburn head coach at plus 500. Kalani Sataki, so BYU. He's at plus oh, yeah. 600. Matt Campbell, we've mentioned him before. He's plus 900. And then bringing out of retirement, Chris Peterson. Now, Chris Peterson, that's an interesting name if they could convince him at plus 1100. Obviously, Peterson's had success at the conference. He's had success at Boise State. He's had success in that Pacific Northwest area recruiting for Washington. I think that would be my favorite hiring there. There's also Dave Aranda. Now, I guess that just depends. Does Dave Aranda want to dominate the Big 12, which I think Baylor is in a position to do with Texas and Oklahoma leaving? Or does he want to go in and compete against Lincoln Riley year after year in the Pac-12? Yeah, 
I think the Dave Aranda thing was something everyone connected right away. And then it like kind of people kind of like started actually digging into it and found out Aranda like wasn't interested at all in leaving Baylor after this year. So they were like, okay, that's fine. We'll move on to the next person. They're in a position to succeed, right? I mean, who else is competing in the Big 12 moving forward? I mean, is Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State going to continue this run of success? Is TCU going to find the next head coach and compete? Cincinnati, are they going to immediately move from a group of five school to a power five and start competing right out the gate? UCF, BYU. I don't think these schools are necessarily ready to just jump into the Big 12 and just instantly start off. Whereas you look at what Aranda is doing at Baylor, he already has him an 11-2 program. They win the Big 12 championship. Uh, They've turned it around pretty quick and Baylor's had success in the past. The Big 12 feels like it's on a little bit of uncertain ground over the past, you know, obviously year because as they've recycled. And the reason is only because I don't know what their television contract is going to be next year. The Big 12 is the only major conference that doesn't have like a major network on either ESPN or Fox or something like that, like an SEC network or an ACC network or Pac-12 network or or Big 12, Big 10 network. They don't have that right now. So I have kind of looked at them like it's going to be a power four. And then the Big 12 is kind of in purgatory for me right now until I figure out what that television contract is. Because if their television contract goes down 30%, 35%, 40% without having Texas and Oklahoma in the conference when they renegotiate in three years, that could kind of change the balance of power in college football where you get those teams in there. They can put teams in this expanded college football playoff, of course, but they kind of operate not necessarily like a Mountain West school, but kind of like below these other power conferences. So the Big 12, I feel like is kind of in purgatory right now. Not that it doesn't have like super desirable jobs. It's still, you know, it's better than being the head coach at Central Michigan, like Jim McElwain, hump shark, shark humper Jim McElwain is right now. But you can still have some sort of money, resources, power to build a national contender, maybe not a national champion. Again, who is the last national champion from the Big 12? I believe it is Texas in 2006, if I remember correctly. So again, you can build a national power, even if it's not, you know, at the level of an Alabama or a Clemson or whatever it is. I feel like the Big 12's kind of in this purgatory right now where their future seems uncertain because the money seems uncertain in that conference. Yeah, losing Texas and Oklahoma is almost a death blow to their popularity nationwide. Just that national brand to tie themselves to because as good as Baylor is, as good as Oklahoma State can be, they just don't even sniff what Texas and Oklahoma bring to the conference in terms of national recognition. I I don't think there's Baylor fans out there in Maryland. I don't think that there's Oklahoma state fans in Southern California. There might be a Mike Gundy fan somewhere because people recognize Mike Gundy from his press conference outburst back in the day. But for the most part, there's nothing that really ties people's attention to these schools. There might be some new Cincinnati fans. There might be some people that want to root for Cincinnati as they enter the Power Five. And again, we'll roughly use Power Five with exclamation points here because I agree with you. I think they're going to be treated as the Pac-12 has been treated for the last decade. And they might even get treated as the Big E was in the mid 2000s where yes we do accept you as a power five conference but we don't recognize you as a real power five conference 
Yeah, all of, of course. Star Wars makes Windu talk there if you get the reference. But um, I will yeah. play devil's advocate for the big or not the big 12 for the Pac-12, because we, we like to make a lot of Pac-12 jokes on our, our podcast, because for like you said, for five to 10 years, it's just been they're all mediocre beating each other up all the time. In fairness, the Pac-12 does still have those national powers. Yes. USC and Oregon can both still be national powers. You look at the big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma, those national powers seem to be pretty much gone, or at least having a singular team that is in the top 20 in athletic budget in all of college football. Uh, if and you take away Texas and Oklahoma. And historically, yeah. none of these programs have had just the success that those two schools have had. I will say, actually, there is one still left in the Big 12. It's Kansas has a top 20 athletic budget, but they've decided that we're just going to take all this football money and put it to basketball. So and that's that smart. does change the math there. Smart by them. Who knows? Lance Leopold could get that program going here in the next year. Kansas <laughs> for Big 12 champions. Am I here? Hearing it? Am I hearing it? That's probably a no. No, it's it's not impossible. If you told me there are stranger things that can happen than Kansas winning the Big 12. Iowa State basically won the Big 12 two years ago, and Iowa State was Kansas for a decade. By the way, if we want to close a loop here, I have the top 10 Heisman finishers from 2011. If you'd like to dabble in who is at the top of that list that we forgot. Lay it on me. So we did have RG3-1, Andrew Luck-2, Trent Richardson came in at number three, forgot about he was the Alabama running back at that time. Then you follow that up with Monty Ball at number four, Tyran Matthew, number five, Matt Barkley, number six, Case Keenum, number seven, when he broke all those passing records at Houston. That was his last year. Then you had Russell Wilson, Kellen Moore, the current offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys, and LaMichael James. So Brandon Whedon didn't make it. Hmm. You know, though, I will say definitely some NFL talent on that list. And it's been a while since I've heard Monty Ball. Gosh, that was supposed to be my fantasy superstar back in the day. Denver, why didn't you use him correctly? God dang it. (laughs) Lawrence Maroney, was that the name? I think it was the name for the Broncos instead of Monty Ball, which... I'm just thinking about fantasy frustrations of the past. Well, you know, just to kind of like also look into just college football. So obviously we mentioned we did get those top four here, Alabama, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Georgia. Georgia versus Michigan. I think that's the game I'm most excited for out of the two, mostly because I want to see how Georgia can rebound after that Alabama game where they kind of got a little exposed. We know how Michigan likes to beat you. It's going to be a lot of Blake Corum. It's going to be a lot of Hassan Haskins. Can those two running backs get past that front seven of Georgia? And if they can't, does Michigan have it in them to be able to challenge the Bulldogs vertically? Because that's what Alabama was able to do. They were able to burn them with their wide receivers, Mechie, Williams, all these guys that have dynamic speed. Counter to that in the Alabama game, those wide receivers that are down Mechie because Mechie tore his ACL in that game will have to go against Cincinnati's cornerbacks. Now, Cincinnati does have some excellent cornerbacks between Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner, but but will those guys be enough? That part of the problem of a power five school versus a group of five school is the depth. Alabama is just so deep everywhere else that I wonder how Cincinnati is going to be able to keep up in that game. Can Desmond Ritter challenge the Alabama defense, even though the Alabama defense isn't as vaunted as it typically is in Alabama national championship year? Desmond Ritter, is he capable to challenge these guys? That's going to be one of those things I'm very interested to see in that game. Two good games. Two good games from a interest standpoint just because like we mentioned we just want to see what happens 
I know that we all have in our mind what the opening lines are going to be, what Vegas is going to look at this game as, but we just want to see it happens as fans, and we're finally in a position to see it. Yeah, and the the Michigan-Georgia game, to cycle back a little bit, that game reminds me a lot of a classic 2-3 matchup where like Ohio State would play Clemson, where we know both of these teams are very, very good, and it feels like Georgia is going to be favored in this game by a little bit just because we've seen it more consistently from them this year than Michigan. Michigan, who I said, again, had no chance of making it to the playoff this year. And I I like Georgia to win the game. Again, this is like previewing a game that's like three weeks out from now. So obviously stuff can change. But I am interested because, you know, Michigan is probably going to do the run game or they do the alternative version, which is they use the pass like the run with lots of screen passes, lots of quick outs, slant plays, uh, stuff like that, just to spread out the Georgia defense a bit. It was very successful for Alabama. So that again, that feels like the matchup there. Georgia's offense is meh. <laughs> Michigan's defense is meh. So no. the, the fun matchup is is Michigan offense versus Georgia defense to going into that game, of course. I am curious if we get the national title game between Michigan and Alabama, how a guy like Aiden Hutchinson stacks up against that Alabama offensive line. Because Alabama, why they struggled in that Auburn game is they gave up seven sacks versus Auburn. Aiden Hutchinson is starting to look like he's in a position to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. If he could be yeah, a I think he's going to the Heisman ceremony, right? Yeah, and rightfully so. He's earned his spot over there. He's been the most dynamic pass rusher, the most consistent pass rusher in college football this year because Kadon Thibodeau came into this year as the projected number one overall draft pick, and he's kind of fallen off. I think that's been the mark of college football this year. All of our expectations have been subversed because we went into this year, like I mentioned, with that list of Heisman candidates that would not be. We went into this year with a potential mock draft that just didn't end up coming to fruition, mostly at the quarterback position and obviously we went into this year thinking okay we're gonna get another Alabama Clemson national title game did not happen so I I think this is where you know parody took over and this is what we've been asking for so will it deliver that's the next step will it deliver for us fans uh I think the college football playoff always delivers because if you put stakes and storylines behind it anything is going to be interesting and I want to I want to believe Cincinnati has a chance even though I know that there is very little chance although they have three first round picks on their team so that that could be something fun to watch I don't think they have the depth of Alabama just having five stars at every position on the backups so I guess if you were going to give Cincinnati any of these matchups this would was the right matchup to give them, right? Because if you are a non-Power 5 school and you want to prove yourself against anyone, well, prove yourself against Alabama. How about that? Game one, you versus Nick Saban. Yeah, because Cincinnati's just in the happy-to-be-there mode, so I think it's it's going to be fantastic for them getting that chance in the playoff. By the way, uh, if we're going to play the fun game of who's going to be the number one pick at the edge rusher position, let us not forget that the Detroit Lions are in line to have said number one picks. So the, the white guy from Michigan might be quite appealing for those Detroit Lions fans as their savior coming in. But uh, obviously Thibodeau's the guy I just know because we've been saying since April of last year that he's going to be the number one pick in the draft. He didn't play much this year. So the, the raw gifts are still there, but obviously he's battled injuries. Those two are probably going to be right at the top. Uh, apparently there's also a lot of corners in this draft this year. So I've heard that'll be fun for other teams slightly further down. But if the Lions get their choice between that, they couldn't have asked for anything better at that because they really need help on defense. Defense. 
Lions really need help on defense. Well, of course, you know, if you're a Lions fan, you probably were looking for who's my next quarterback. But I I think that this works out as best it can, given the quarterbacks that we saw, because if you're going to have the number one overall pick, there's no one worth picking there besides a defensive end or edge rush talent. So Aiden Hutchinson, I, I think that works well. And hell for him going from Jim Harbaugh to Dan Campbell. I think that's a perfect transition, right? What are we just down the road there? Dan Campbell uh, reminds me of a Jim Harbaugh like. Dan Campbell is everything Jim Harbaugh aspires to be. Like Jim Harbaugh wants, Jim Harbaugh is more nerdy than anything else. And man, Campbell is just like, all right, Jim Harbaugh walked into the, the Big Ten championship this week with a three ring binder in his hands. And man, Campbell just took that three ring binder and just like straight ripped it with his bare hands because that's man Campbell's strategy there. Jim Harbaugh is like nerdy man is like nerdy jock and then man Campbell is just we are Ed Orgeron we just drink like 18 Red Bulls a day and that's our that's our edge is just doing crazy things I guess that's the difference between being a quarterback and being a tight end right sure yes that's actually a great way of putting it that's a fantastic way of summing this up and you know Mike Vrabel's a linebacker and Mike Vrabel's a crazy person with a crazy family and also yeah he's a he's a head coach who also has had relative success like yeah sometimes it's just that simple but the difference is Mike Vrabel gets bullied by Tom Brady. You hear Tom Brady a few weeks ago when he was like, ah, oh, man, Mike Vrabel, that guy just really let himself go. He's a shell of himself. I love but Mike Vrabel's like, later one of the original Patriot Way guys. So they, they've been buddies for a decade because Mike Vrabel was was the original win three Super Bowls with I, the Patriots guy. I know. I, I just love later career Tom Brady that he just talks so much shit. And it's kind yeah. of hilarious the way he goes about it. Because we don't see quarterbacks do it. Like Russell Wilson has never said one thing interesting in his life. The only time he Go said Hawks. a monicum of something interesting, he he everyone thought he was going to get traded. Like it's just baffling when Russell Wilson says anything interesting. So it never happens at the quarterback position. Don't bring up Russell Trump- Wilson to me though this week. I, I just can't do it this week. <laughs> I am in a state of mourning as Russell Wilson pushes his career record to 16 and four versus the Niners, literally an 800 winning percentage. I can't anymore i can't when are you gonna put trey lanson been waiting on this for like weeks now when when is uh, trey 2022 ah damn it that's unfortunate but i'm okay whatever. but <laughs> we have different rooting interests i have interest in the team winning games you have interest in the storyline perspective of it so both can work they don't have to be mutually exclusive trey lance playing doesn't mean you lose games they don't both have to be can but based off what i saw in the arizona game based off what i saw in the second half of the seattle game i still believe in agreement with kyle shannon on this particular point that jimmy garoppolo does give us the best chance to win and yes jimmy garoppolo had a couple bad picks but unfortunately it just seems like pete carroll all also has ownage on Jimmy Garoppolo. But then again, the Seahawks just have ownage on us. If I was to mark every 49er season based off our success against the Seahawks, I would just give up on every season at this point. I can't even, I can barely remember the four wins. Uh, The only wins I can think of are, of course, the end of the 2019 season. We got them once with Nick Mullins. And other than that, it's just been a lot of sadness. It's been a lot of misery. Since 2012, that mark stands of that 16 and four. So that expands across the Jim Harbaugh era, Jim Tomsula, Chip Kelly, and of course, Kyle Shanahan. (laughs) Is Jim Tomsula still working? Are we still letting Jim Tomsula in a building now? I thought he was with the Cowboys. Oh, that'd be funny if he's on the rehab tour with the Cowboys too. Because I know Ben McAdoo's there. Let's see. Well, Jim everyone Tomsula. still praises him as a good defensive line coach. And I can see bits of that. Technically, he had a better finish than Chip Kelly did as Niners head coach. He was just so a little bit more a- embarrassing. 
He, he was with Washington then last year with Dallas, and he is not working this season. He was fired after last year with all of Dallas's defensive coaches. That's interesting that he struggled with Washington considering their defensive line was at one point praised. And then last year, okay, in fairness, he had Mike Nolan as the main coordinator there. Mike Nolan has been a disaster, and I think Dan Quinn's proved it based off the fact that he's had success with that Dallas Cowboys defensive unit. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. That And by the way, he also got fired in Washington before they got all the good defensive players. He got fired with the, uh, who was the coach before? Was it Jay Gruden? Yeah, he got fired Jay with Jay Gruden. And then when they hired Ron Rivera, he he did not get retained. So, he so is he a victim of, of the circumstance worst. there? Just being in the wrong place with a lame duck head coach over there in Washington and then being with a Dallas defense that was just terrible? Yeah, Jim Tom Sula. Jim Tom Sula's got some bad friends. Like he he, he hooked up his connections to Scott Linehan and, and Mike Nolan. That's not the greatest people that you should you should be connecting your 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 job security to <laughs> all right Kyle before we move on into our NFL pick'em let's take a look at your last rankings update as we project to have another rankings this coming weekend your top three in the last update was Warriors Nets Suns and since that happened the Suns actually got a couple of head-to-head wins against the Brooklyn Nets against the Golden State Warriors as of today, they have a 20-4 and four record, which is tied for a league best with the Warriors. What do you expect from the Suns moving forward? Uh, that the Suns are definitely going to be the top three. That I can say with certainty. The Phoenix Suns have not done anything to fall further down at this point or anyone doing anything to catch up to them. So, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like, it's been amazing how good Phoenix has been this year, considering that I didn't think they'd be able to take that leap up from last year going to the NBA Finals, which what felt a little bit, you know, disingenuous because obviously the Lakers got hurt in their series and the Nuggets were without Jamal Murray and they swept through them and then the Clippers were playing without Kawhi Leonard for the conference finals and all of that felt like it was piling up on the the Suns a bit and then they obviously collapsed because Giannis Antetokounmpo had one of the all-time great finals performances that I can remember and Phoenix has been fantastic this year like I think if there's a week to move them up this might as well be the week because I think when you get to a seven game series I still favor the other two teams there because of the proven commodities like Phoenix is a very this one or the other person like Phoenix has two very very good players in obviously Chris Paul and Devin Booker who are mid-range very similar play styles obviously Chris Paul better distributor Devin Booker slightly worse on the defensive end of the floor Devin Booker probably a better more pure scorer and if they work an offense around Devin Booker he can definitely be the best player on the team very similar type of offensive play styles and the Warriors and Nets just happen to have those two bad men that that Kevin Durant Steph Curry combination that is you know obviously we've seen the proven commodities from them before we trust them deeper into games they're their generation's best players they're going to be one and two in the MVP race this year like obviously so I mean you saw it yesterday in the Nets game where it's like how did the Nets win on Tuesday it's like well the Nets have Kevin Durant and the other teams don't and that's sometimes just as easy as it gets for them winning so if you're going to pick a week I'll give it this week for Phoenix. Maybe Phoenix will, will jump up to one or two. They've obviously got head-to-head wins, best record in the NBA. Maybe this is the week to unseat the Golden State Warriors just for, you know, just for shits and giggles. They're the three best teams in the NBA all the way through and through. Like, they're three, and then the Bucks are right there at four, and then everyone else down below. But even still, maybe maybe they jump up a little bit just 
to just to spice things up a little bit to keep things interesting. Right. I'm getting tired of in the tier one rankings having pictures of Steph Curry. I'm running out of Google images at this point. But no, in all seriousness, <laughs> the Warriors have earned being the number one throughout the season. But you just have to give credence to what the Suns have been able to do. Obviously, a league best record and having those head to head wins. I think as we start hitting this point in the season, they do say that real NBA season starts after Christmas. So we're a couple rankings updates away from that point. But I've been really impressed with the Suns. Another team that's been really impressive, of course, has been the Bulls. And one thing that you said very early on is you wanted more time to pass before giving the Bulls the credit that they deserve. Now they are a 17 and eight, which is one game behind in the loss column behind the Brooklyn Nets. On your last rankings update, you had them at seven, which is a spot behind the Jazz, a spot behind the Heat, and a spot behind the Bucks. Currently, they have a better record than the Bucks, but I think you still probably value the Bucks a little bit more. So I'm going to be tentative and say, do you think that they could potentially jump to the top five, which is currently where the Heat are? And the Bulls are back, baby. The Bulls are, are very, very good. If you had told me at the start of the year, DeMar DeRozan would be second in the NBA in scoring this year, I would have said that would be absolutely insane. But apparently Greg Popovich didn't know how to use DeMar DeRozan correctly. And, and now DeMar DeRozan is better than Zach Levine. He's going to make an all-star team for the first time in a couple of years. It's, it's quite remarkable how these things happen. But yeah, career revitalization for DeMar DeRozan, not something I had planned coming into the year. The Bulls are better than I thought they were. And I said this with the Bengals. I said it with, uh, I believe, the Chargers earlier this year. Better than I thought they were. And that's pretty good for Chicago at this point. Are they an NBA Finals contender? Absolutely not. But they weren't planning on that at the start of the season. If you would have told Bulls fans you would have gotten the sixth seed at the start of the year, they would have been elated, I imagine. And the Bulls, I think, are like the third or the second seed right now in the Eastern Conference. Not that like that matters. They're number two right now. Thank you. They're second in the East. Not that that matters at this point in the season. I think the Grizzlies were the second seed in the Western Conference a couple years ago at this time, but even still, Chicago, better than I thought. I feel like it's semantics to say whether they're better than the Heat or not. The teams are built very similarly between Miami and Chicago. That would be a really, really fun matchup to see in the playoffs. But Chicago, if we're going to do six top five teams, then Chicago is definitely a top five team. You give them a lot of credit uh, for how well they've played so far this season. I don't think it's going to last like this. I still don't think it's sustainable for Chicago because there's been years of sample size that suggests Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan and uh, I guess Vucevic technically. Vucevic, empty stat Nikola Vucevic being the lead players on a team will eventually start to come back down to earth, but maybe they'll be a four seed. Maybe they'll be a five seed. Maybe they'll match up with the Miami Heat in the playoffs. At some point, the Bucs will pass them in record because the Milwaukee Bucks have played better basketball this year than even the Chicago Bulls. They just had a COVID scare and a long road trip mixed in that knocked them down a bit on the win-loss column. But Chicago, top five team. Now, are there seven top five teams that I have right now? Absolutely. But they're a top five team. Congratulations, Chicago. You are in that second tier of teams that are hopefully expecting to win a first round playoff series. Let's talk about a team that you had at 10 in this last update, the Denver Nuggets. Now, the Denver Nuggets are currently 11 and 12, the eighth seed in the West. And there are teams that you have behind them in the rankings that now currently have a better record than them, such as the Mavericks, who you had at 13, the Clippers, who you had at 11, even the Grizzlies, where you had at 21. Are any of those teams 
teams projected to go ahead of the Nuggets in this next update? Mavericks, probably the one that you said right off the bat that's probably there. Uh, these were done before we got the news that Michael Porter Jr. is done for the season. And not only that Michael Porter Jr. is done for the season, that it's a back issue, which is like DEFCON 9 code red for the Denver Nuggets because the whole reason they were able to get Michael Porter Jr. in the first place was because he had chronic back injuries in high school and in college. Michael Porter Jr. would have been drafted number one in his class, and this is a class that includes Zion Williamson, I believe. No, maybe it was the year before. Maybe maybe he was 2018. Maybe it was one year before Zion Williamson. But even still, Michael Porter Jr. was the number one high school recruit coming out, and back injuries end up being a problem for him at Missouri. And the fact that he has back injuries now after they just gave him $200 million is total just chaos, panic time for the Denver Nuggets. Um, so if you take out Michael Porter Jr., the Denver Nuggets are a second round exit team similar to the Chicago Bulls, who have obviously played very well to start the season, similar to the Dallas Mavericks, who hope they can win a playoff series this year. Similarly to, you know, the Utah Jazz, I guess they hope they can win a playoff series this year. If a matchup works out well for them, they can make it to the second round. Same as the Miami Heat, same as the Philadelphia 76ers, teams like that hope to make it to the next round. Denver still is that because they have the MVP and the second best player of his generation and Nikola Jokic. But at the same time, that only will get them so far without the supporting cast around them. So yeah, Denver, just bad luck with injuries this year. Yeah, I think they're still probably like top 12, top 13 in the NBA right now, which is again, good enough to get you to the playoffs and uh, first round matchup against the Utah Jazz. Even without Michael Porter Jr., they could probably still beat the Jazz in a seven game series. Might be tough, but they could do it. Well, let's play this out. So you said the Mavericks would jump um, them head to head against the Clippers today. Ooh, Clippers. Let's see. The Clippers. Did they did just get a win? I would go Lakers. Nuggets. Nuggets. I would, okay. I would still go Nuggets. They do have the best player in the court, which I guess you would say is the advantage there. But ever so slightly, it's not like the Clippers have tremendous depth either. Like the Nuggets are one of the least deep teams in the NBA, but it's not as if the Clippers have tremendous depth either. I am inclined to agree with that one there. All right. I'm going to let you do a victory lap here to close out this segment. The Washington Wizards, as you mentioned, they are on a little bit of a skid. They're currently 14-11, which drops them to the fifth (laughs) seed in the East after just being the two seed in the East as of a couple weeks ago. So Washington fans who may or may not have been angry about how things went in the past for you guys are being ranked 12, despite having the second best record in the the Eastern Conference. This is the good flip side of this is that you guys can have an eight game skid where you you go two and seven and nine games or three and eight and 11 games, and you're not going to drop that far. This is the beautiful flip side of being nuanced is you guys can totally fall off the face of the earth. You're not going to fall that far. You're going to probably still be in the top 16 despite your losing streak. This is what I call market correction. This is regression to the mean. I, or at least I felt very confident in saying y'all weren't that good. You just really, really outperformed to start the season. This is a market correction. You guys are probably going to be fighting at the end of the year to not make the play in tournament. And that's fine. You guys traded Russell Westbrook to start the year for players who are not as good as Russell Westbrook over a long sample size. That'll correct itself unless one of those players becomes as good as Russell Westbrook, which sure, if you want to believe Montrez Harrell is a very efficient player, that that'll maximize what Russell Westbrook brings in literally averaging a triple-double 
fine. But when the going gets tough in these situations, you do want to have that one guy you can count on. For the Wizards, that's Bradley Beal and not a whole lot else. And if Bradley Beal is your best player, you're probably fighting with the Hornets for the play-in game. If LaMelo Ball is their best player, Gordon Hayward is their best player, those teams feel like relatively comparable. So it's market correction for the Wizards, but it doesn't mean you're going to like plummet to 22nd in the power rankings. You're only going to fall a little bit. This is the beauty of being nuanced in your evaluations. The only oddity I have a problem with is counting on Russell Westbrook. Come on, man. (laughs) It's fair. But Russell Westbrook, this is the same thing with Ben Simmons. Everyone has the jokes on the internet. Russell Westbrook is still a very good player. Russell Westbrook is still a very good (sighs) basketball player. I'm sure there's some analytics and there's some statistics to back up your reasoning there. But I tell you, every time I watch Russell Westbrook, it's not enjoyable to me. I don't know what it is. I just can't get into Russell Westbrook games. And the Lakers, I mean, I don't have a problem with them being top 10 this week. They relatively treaded water, which has basically been what they've done all season. They just got a big win against the Celtics. They had LeBron James missing a couple games in that stretch because of a faulty COVID test. So the Lakers, they did what they had to do to at least retain their nine spot in your rankings. If you move them around anymore, then I, I guess I don't really have any arguments for or against it other than yeah, we'll see how Laker, they play Lakers, when they finally get together. Lakers problem this year is that they just don't play good defense. And that's, you know, tough break for them. That's <laughs> going to, it's going to come back to bite them once they play teams that can actually take advantage of that instead of playing like Sacramento or playing Boston, who is, you know, their fine team this year, uh, or the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Orlando Magic. Once they play teams like Phoenix and Golden State and Utah who can actually take advantage. It's crazy that I'm saying Utah in this context, but yeah, teams that can actually take advantage of bad defense. Uh, it'll come back to bite the Lakers eventually, but maybe by then they'll have switched up the roster or they'll go to the buyout market and try and bring people in or they'll you know, oh, trade more old guys. That's exactly what this locker room needs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what's your alternative option? You're going to trade Kent Bazemore? Does Kent Bazemore get you a lot in the trade market? <laughs> I don't think there is any great options. I think the Lakers team is just kind of what it is at this point. If they can trade any assets, I just don't know what any assets they have that they can really use to acquire someone of worth. People have floated the idea, can they trade Russell Westbrook? Who's trading for Russell Westbrook right now? There would there will be teams that trade for Russell Westbrook, but not what the, the Lakers would be selling low at that point because Russell Westbrook's value is really low. So they'd be better served just holding on to him and letting it play all the way out and, and then see what happens once they get to the playoffs with all three of them being healthy at this point. Because if you're going to sell low on Russell Westbrook and just dump the contract, there's, Russell Westbrook is still a very good player. <laughs> People listening to this, Russell Westbrook is still a very good basketball player. Just because he's not what Russell Westbrook used to be doesn't mean Russell Westbrook is still not a very, very good basketball player. I will defer to you as the NBA analyst of this podcast, but I will say that from a casual observer standpoint, Russell Westbrook, he just ain't it for me, man. Anthony Davis yeah, too. I mean, he I ha- guess he you would has say a terrible he's been, jump shot. Yeah. I guess Anthony yeah. Davis too, you would say he's been somewhat of a disappointment this year. You would have loved for him to pick up the slack while LeBron was missing all those games. And he just doesn't feel like a top five player a good chunk of the time. Like he is a top five player in terms of his abilities and skill set, but there's some stretches there where you just love for him to take over. I I find myself agreeing with what Chuck said in this most recent inside the NBA, where it's like, where have you been, man? This is your team now. 
So the Lakers, I don't know if you remember this as well, and maybe people at home don't, but remember when the Lakers were winning the championship in the bubble and and everyone was starting to have the conversation about going forward, is this the time where Anthony Davis, you know, becomes the number one and LeBron becomes the number two. And that's the way that the Lakers are going to continue this run for however long it's going to be. Now the bubble timeframe messes things up a bit because it was only like 13 months ago, but at the same time, this is now two full seasons since that. And it's pretty clear still the Lakers go as far as LeBron James goes now for better or for worse in that situation it's a pretty good dilemma to have is you go as far as LeBron James goes might be one of the best bets to make in the history of sports is your team goes as far as LeBron James takes it but at the same time this is now two times in three seasons LeBron's had a season ending injury again anything can happen later on in the season with any of those guys with injuries and that's kind of why they brought Russell Westbrook in in the first place but I think if you put all three of them together the Lakers can still win a series against even the Warriors and the Suns. Like they wouldn't be favored in the series, but if you put all three of them together, there's still a chance that that can happen because the people I've heard, especially being in a lot of group chats with Lakers fans coming from, you know, Southern California and such, I don't know what the alternatives people want are. They're like, Russell Westbrook is terrible. I'm like, would you rather have had Buddy healed? Like it's Russell Westbrook maybe playing not as well as you thought he was, but he's still not, he's still better than Buddy healed. One thing I've heard floated listening to some Lakers podcast is the idea of having Russell Westbrook come off the bench and play primarily with the second unit. So it makes them a little bit more balanced in terms of their ability to score when LeBron and AD aren't on the court. Then you have Russell Westbrook on the court or you have some combination of the three, uh, two out three of that working at one time. Whereas right now, um, there's somewhat of a conflict when you have all three of them coming out the gate as starters. I think the, the concern there for the Lakers also is if all three of them are going to play together, which we haven't seen very much this year, but if all three of them are going to play together and the defense teams are going to play is just, we're going to just let Russell Westbrook stand on the perimeter and just like catch. And then they're going to drop back to the free throw line and just dare him to shoot. If they're going to play the, the Giannis defense against Westbrook and just defend the drive all the way. Um, the alternative options for the Lakers are either do that strategy or have Russell Westbrook play center and then have Anthony Davis play basically like a four, which the best case scenario for the Lakers is Anthony Davis play center three shooters, LeBron, well, LeBron or Westbrook. So I guess LeBron, Westbrook, two shooters and Anthony Davis as the, the, the sole center. But Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center for the Lakers. So Anthony Davis wants to kind of be like a, a middle of the court guy, shoot mid-range jumpers because Anthony Davis might be one of the best mid-range shooters in the NBA. He wants to post up from, from seven feet out or 10 feet out and shoot mid-range jumpers more than he wants to be catching lobs and dunking, even though I've seen Anthony Davis literally go 14 and a half feet in the air to catch a lob and dunk it. So isn't he shooting it, something gross, like 19% from three point range this season as well? Yeah. Anthony Davis is not a good three point shooter. This is the other part of that, but he's a very good mid range jump shooter. And so if you just want Anthony Davis to catch lobs, that would be the best version of the Lakers offense is because Anthony Davis is just bigger, stronger, faster than everyone else on the court. He's also very skilled. It's what makes Anthony Davis one of the top 10 players in the NBA. And if they want 
want to do that, that's the best version of their offense. It's just Anthony Davis doesn't want to play center except for very strategic moments in the playoffs. And so if Anthony Davis is not going to be there, they'd be better served doing what the, uh, what the Rockets and the Wizards did at the very end by making Russell Westbrook the de facto center because Russell Westbrook still averages like 11 rebounds a game, even though he's only like six foot five. You know, you kind of wonder where the leadership is at that point where you have a player that doesn't want to play a position when you know it's in the best interest of the team. In fact, if you want to say that this should have been Anthony Davis's team moving forward, if you have a way to help your team and you're deferring not to do it because of some weird ego or pride or whatever reason that he has for not wanting to play center, maybe he's worried about getting hurt, then that's kind of an indictment on his character. And you mentioned right now you are betting on LeBron James. When LeBron James is gone, and I'm sure we'll have that conversation down the road, what do the Lakers turn into at that point with a purely Anthony Davis-led team? You have to think that the best case scenario for them is that they could get someone else in there, another A guy in free agency, because obviously we saw, and we know the New Orleans is just a functional franchise, don't get me wrong, but we saw Anthony Davis led Pelicans teams, and the best situation there was that one playoff series we put up 50 in the first round. Let me blow your mind even more on that. LeBron James is going to outlast Anthony Davis in Los Angeles, because LeBron James signed a four-year contract extension. Oh! LeBron James. LeBron James. Hot take out here. LeBron James is going to play till he's 42. Anthony Davis might still be there, might not, but LeBron James is going to retire a Los Angeles Laker. And that might mean LeBron going on the retirement tour of like teams that are the seven or eight seed in the Western conference and Anthony Davis choosing to finish his career somewhere else or injuries finally succumb to Anthony Davis to the point of him not wanting to play center. I think it's more like Anthony Davis disagrees with people who say he'd be better served playing center. And I think both options are fine. Anthony Davis at the four makes your team significantly better. Anthony Davis at the five makes your team significantly better. He's Anthony Davis. He's one of the great shooters within 15 feet in the NBA and also seven foot one and can jump with a wingspan that catches lobs 15 feet in the air. He's Anthony Davis. He's ridiculously good at basketball. (laughs) I think Anthony Davis just disagrees on the fact that he's better at the five than he is at the four. And he's got an argument to make for it. As long as he makes X number of shots from, you know, 10 feet, 12 feet, even like six feet, little hook shot lobs instead of dunks. If he makes a certain number of shots, probably right. Anthony Davis is better served at the four. It's just, if if we're doing this purely analytically, the dunk is an easier shot than the 12 footer. But if Anthony Davis is shooting more volume 12 footers instead of just catching lobs and going to the free throw line, then you could make the argument the other way in favor of Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis is just would rather play a more versatile game than just stand under the basket and catch lobs. You can make the argument for both sides. But yeah, LeBron James probably outlasts Anthony Davis in Los Angeles. That's the hot take there. You heard it here first, folks. But there was some rumors, too, that they were even considering trading Anthony Davis in this offseason, or at least some prominent analysts made it a point to say, Damian Lillard for Anthony Davis, would that be a good trade? So there is some credence to your theory there. Okay, let's close out. Let's get into our NFL pick this week. Coming off a good week for myself, I must say. Thank you, John Harbaugh, for going for the two-point conversion. That saved me. And thank you for the elements as 50-mile-per-hour wins. 
yes, I will give you credit for helping me get that win in the Patriots game there. I, I am okay with this one, though, because over on Take It Easy's Pick'em Pool this week, I hedged both of my bets and took the Steelers at plus four and a half and the Patriots at plus three, and it led me to a perfect five and a week in our other Pick'em Pool. So I hedged my bets on both of the losses here. Well, we both ended up missing on the Bengals and Chargers game. So did end up going four and one on the week because of that one. And that one was probably the most disappointing out of it because it was the one where we thought we had all the right analysis in there, but that was another one of good analysis, bad result as the Chargers actually showed up to play in Cincinnati and put it on them, put a whooping on them. So I guess going into this week, um, rather than going in a particular order, Kyle, I'll let you choose. Which game should we start off with here? Oh, this is a good question here. So... I don't really care very much about the 49ers, so we'll, we'll we'll delay that one a little bit. Maybe it'd be better to get the worst one out of the way first here. Can we can we talk about my beloved Patrick Mahomes and how the the Kansas City Chiefs have been kicking ass here over the past few weeks after everyone wanted to write them off and say they'd struggle to make the playoffs and now they are the number 1 seed. I know I know they didn't win by that many against the Denver Broncos, but Patrick Mahomes did just enough to get me a 5-point victory in fantasy last week. So, I'm still okay with it well I'm happy to hear he got you a victory because he didn't get me a victory because if he continues to have weeks where he doesn't throw a single passing touchdown not a lot of fantasy owners will get a victory in that one in fact there is legitimate discussions we had should I start Kirk Cousins over Patrick Mahomes this week because that is one thing that I am debating as I head into this game because currently if you're a fantasy owner you should know the two of his last eight games, Patrick Mahomes has not exceeded 20 fantasy points. Two I love that. This is, this, is, this is similar to the conversation we just had about Lakers fans where they're like, Russell Westbrook is terrible. And they're like, well, would you rather have Buddy Heald? It's like, Patrick Mahomes is inconsistent. I'm like, compared to Kirk Cousins, the most inconsistent quarterback I've ever seen other than Carson Wentz. Listen, if I can decide on gain at least a somewhat guaranteed 15 points versus a bottoming out with a six or seven point week there is a discussion be had there now the alternative discussion here is they are facing the Raiders this week so two of the last eight weeks one of those last eight weeks was against the Raiders and one of those games he threw five passing touchdowns when he went against this defense just a few weeks ago and it was during that preview that I did make the bold claim that I didn't see the Chiefs competing for a Super Bowl this year. Now, that's regardless of what their record was. That's regardless if they win the division. I did not see this team as a Super Bowl team. Now, have I backed off of that? No, I have not. Because I still don't have faith in this offense. The fact that this that they've been getting exposed consistently week after week, week after week, with this halo coverage, as they're calling it, for Travis Kelsey, and of course, the two deep safety that has neutralized Tyreek Hill, Hill is been in a little bit of funk. He's dropping passes that he doesn't normally drop. Patrick Mahomes is not taking the easy dump offs and you were expecting a little bit more of them coming off of a bye week. Andy Reid off a bye week, guys. Come on. They should have put up 50 against the Broncos. Now, I understand it's mostly expectations versus reality. Our expectations of what Patrick Mahomes is. He set our expectations too high. I mean, an MVP season, 50 passing touchdowns year after year after year. And here we are in this 2021 season where it just doesn't look the same. I mean, I've mentioned it out the gate here. Two straight games without a passing touchdown. That would have been unheard of for 2019 Patrick Mahomes, for 2020 Patrick Mahomes. And yet it's happening. Now, they're going against this Raiders team that... They lost Kenyon Drake for the year. They're banged up defensively. Darren Waller has a knee and back issues. Carl Nasip has injuries. Corey Littleton has injuries. Denzel Perryman has injuries. So they might get another scheduling break in 
facing the Raiders at the right time. We've also mentioned the Raiders' problems where they have uh, Rich Vespaccio and Greg Olson trying to piece it together in the wake of John Gruden getting fired. You're missing your number one wide receiver on the year because of a unfortunate accident that the last thing that they would have expected coming into the year. So they get a break here in the sense of when they're facing the Raiders. Now, I should say the last time the Raiders went into Arrowhead, they did get the victory, but this is a Raiders team that just so depleted that I can't confidently put my bet on them because they're just not the same Raiders team that started the year. They're not the same Raiders team that was 3-0. and They're a Raiders team that I believe has lost seven of their last 10 games and faces the end of the year where they face the Chargers again, they face the Chiefs, they face the Colts, they face the Browns. They face a lot of teams that are going to determine whether or not they can make the playoffs. Part of my concern here is with how inconsistent the Chiefs offense has been, I kind of wonder if that's going to cost Eric the enemy any coaching opportunities this year, because we did see him and Andy Reid get in somewhat of a talking dispute in that game against the Broncos. So I kind of wonder what is the issues there. I don't think the Chiefs are making adjustments. Now, can the Raiders make adjustments from what killed them a couple weeks ago? That is, I think, going to be the big determining factor in this game. I think you know which way I'm going to lean for this one, but I think in the interest of just kind of keeping it interesting here, we'll stagger it one. Last week, you went with all the picks first. The week before, I went with all the picks first. Since you're still leading me, we'll go literally, you go this one, I go next one, you go next one. That way it's three to two, okay? So am I am I up two games right now? Is that I would say two games because I remember it was about more or less a four-game lead, and then I Obviously, I picked up two games this past weekend. Okay, that's good. Good to know at this point. So, yeah, no, no surprises here. Of course, I'm going with the Chiefs uh, in the spirit of making the joke because I'm always looking for an angle to make the joke. I will say uh, same analysis as, la- as the last time the Chiefs played the Raiders, which is on principle, the Raiders are not allowed to be good. And uh, for that reason, I will take the Kansas City Chiefs to win uh, regardless of whether uh, Carl Nazib or Darren Waller or Corey Littleton play for the Raiders on Sunday. I will play devil's advocate here for for Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy so much that similarly to how Bill Belichick went for every single play being a run on Monday. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs have basically said, we are going to play to the strengths of the teams, or sorry, play against the weaknesses of the defense that we are playing more than we're going to play into our strengths. Uh, so for the Kansas City Chiefs, that meant running the ball a lot against the Denver Broncos, controlling time of possession at the best they could. Because again, the reason that game was so low scoring is because the Denver Broncos, I cannot stress this enough. I've made this joke on my podcast on the Instagram, and now here. The Denver Broncos had a 20-play, 89-yard drive that took up 11 minutes and ended with zero points in the second quarter against the Kansas City Chiefs. When the Chiefs had the ball in the first quarter for 75% of the time, they went up 10-0 against the Denver Broncos. If they had kept that up consistently for the rest of the game, they probably win by 30 points instead of only winning by, I believe, 14, which was still enough to cover the spread last week. So Kansas City is playing into the weaknesses of the teams that they're playing against the Raiders. That probably means they can take the top off a little bit more. Maybe this is a 35 point week for the Kansas City Chiefs. They can kind of just play with whatever they have. But the the part that gives me hope for the Kansas City Chiefs that they can make the Super Bowl this year. And I say hope knowing that I'm a Mahomey, not as a Kansas City Chiefs fan myself, but love me some Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Obviously, it's the only jersey I have back there in the NFL. But the Kansas City Chiefs, the thing that gives 
gives me hope that they will make the Super Bowl in the AFC. Less confident than I've been in years, but still, I think they're the best team in the AFC at this point. They can run the football very well this year. I don't know if that has to do with the offensive line being improved or Clyde Edwards-Alaire being healthy finally, but they can run the ball really, really well. And they could quietly do this last year. They just didn't need to ever do it last year because Patrick Mahomes was getting lucky with the turnovers until about December of last year. They can run the ball really, really well, even against teams that have stronger rush defenses. Now, the Denver Broncos, they don't have a stronger rush defense, obviously. That's kind of why they went with that strategy. Buffalo doesn't have the strongest rush defense, but they ran the ball very well against Baltimore early on in the season, which I understand is a while ago into the year. New York Giants, they ran the ball very well. Sneaky good rush defense for the New York Giants this year. Like, obviously I say Giants defense and you're like, what? That's awful. That They've actually been okay stopping the run defense this year. They've been top half in the league. So Kansas City can run the ball even against teams that are pretty good at stopping the run. Not going to say they're the best running game in the league. They're not Baltimore. They're not the Arizona Cardinals this year. They're not the Green Bay Packers who have been one of the best rushing teams in the NFL, but they've been pretty good this year at doing that. So that combination is just more so playing the matchups that they're going to play. And if if anyone wants to start doubting Andy Reid's ability to coach offensive football, that is, I will take the odds on the other side, no matter what you're giving me, if people are going to start betting against Andy Reid being able to read offenses and read defenses and, and game situations. So, but he's not the primary it, play caller anymore. He hasn't been for a couple of years. This is this is fair, but it doesn't mean that Andy Reid doesn't have a certain level of influence around offensive game planning for the week. Sometimes they run drives that are already predetermined. Andy Reid and Biennemi are going back back and forth. I actually haven't seen the video of Reed and Bienemy's, uh, what are we calling it? A kerfuffle? Just a little uh, bit of a gentleman's disagreement on the sidelines. You know, we saw even uh, Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick kind of get in the ear of Mac Jones. Similar to that, maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe it's just a little bit of frustration, but we have seen the Chiefs offense struggle in recent weeks. Yeah, for sure. They they have not passed the ball really at all. Tyreek Hill has been pretty much absent for like a month now, especially for people in fantasy. I know they're complaining a lot about Tyreek Hill now because it's just it's been brutal out here with Tyreek Hill on your team. So yeah, I, I think I'm I'm betting on the Chiefs to to right the ship. A matchup against the Patriots would be so damn fascinating if it gets to that point in the playoffs, whether an AFC championship or otherwise. See, that's why I have my concerns about the Chiefs as far as actually being a Super Bowl team this year. Considering that they have struggled so much to make adjustments, I look at the Patriots and what they've been able to do. Their entire season has been built around adjustments, adjusting around a rookie quarterback, adjusting around new pieces on the offense, changing the entire offense from what it was last year, changing from a power run game that they had to devise to being able to go back to their previous recipe for success. Those short passes, keeping everything um, pretty time control offense there. And plus, we've seen Bill Belichick in it have success against Andy Reid in the past. You would say Andy Reid has faced him a number of times now at this point, but if I was to bet on a team that's going to make the right adjustments and advance in the playoffs, right now I would take the Patriots in Foxborough. The Patriots are plagued by the same problem that the Georgia Bulldogs had going into this season, and it's still the same thing, which is low upside offense, which is when the going gets tough, their offense kind of crumbles a little bit, because if you had said like six weeks ago, I'd say of the teams that are in the playoffs right now, Patriots probably have one of the least talented offenses in the NFL. Very good offense 
offensive line, which obviously changes the math a little bit as we're seeing from the Colts right now, where offensive line gets healthy. They win five out of six games. Jonathan Taylor's an MVP candidate. So offensive line being good helps, but quarterback, running back, skill position player combo of the 14 playoff teams, 12 or 13 have better players than the Patriots. And so that's the part that's concerning there. People listening to this, people viewing this on a segment are going to think I'm a Chiefs hater. I'm a Patrick Mahomes hater. No, I went into this year with very high expectations of the Chiefs just based off seeing them the last couple of years. The problem is I can also see them this year and tell that there's something that's not right with their offense. See that there's something that's not quite there. Now, what I can see also is their defense has made some large improvements and I haven't officially announced my pick yet. So I'll just get out of the way. I am taking the Chiefs. So anyone that thinks I'm a Chiefs hater, I am taking the Chiefs in this game. I mentioned the Raiders injuries that they're facing, but also part of the thing is with an improving Chiefs defense going against a Derek Carr led offense that just, I like Derek Carr. He has one of the top five arm talents in the league, but he always shrinks at this point of the year. And you thought maybe it was a Gruden issue. Maybe it was the previous regime's issue. I think at this point, we're starting to get to the point where it's just a Derek Carr issue. Derek Carr later in the year when the game seemed to matter, seems to just regress because he still is able to make those throws, but he starts to turn them down. He starts stops being aggressive. There was three opportunities in the Raiders' last game against Washington where he could have hit Deshaun Jackson deep, and he turned those down for checkdowns. And if he doesn't have Darren Waller in the field, his security blanket, then who else is he targeting? Brian Edwards, who hasn't lived up to his draft pedigree? Obviously, Henry Hunter Ruggs Renfro. is long gone. Hunter yeah, Renfro. Hunter Renfro. <laughs> Hunter Renfro is his next man up, and Hunter Renfro is a fine talent. In fact, Hunter Renfro, if they redrafted that NFL draft, I'm pretty sure he would have went in the top three rounds rather than going in the fifth or sixth round like he did but it's not enough they need Derek Carr to be aggressive when they were winning early in the year when they were on that three and oh stretch it was because Derek Carr was winning them games Derek Carr was putting him in a position to win and he hasn't done that for about a month now and I don't see that changing going into Arrowhead going into a December environment this is another moment too where I know you said as a Chargers fans you hate the idea that the Chargers can't travel east travel to the northeast where it gets a little colder Derek Carr has never shown that in his career, the ability to do it. He is just not. Um, maybe being a Fresno State quarterback, going to Las Vegas, going to Oakland, never having to see snow somewhere, I guess, Mac Jones, never seeing snow prior to last week's game. Um, but Derek Carr, his December record has been terrible. One of the league's worst, and particularly in outdoor environments. I mean, they lost that game to the Jets a couple years ago when they were the heavy favorites because he could not compete in that weather. And he's lost multiple games in December at Arrowhead because he just can't get it done in that weather. So yeah, I'm on the Chiefs. You're on the Chiefs. Any other closing thoughts on this one? I've got three for you real quick here. One, the good news for Patriots low upside offense is that the Chiefs have a low upside defense. Probably not going to get Sorensen pick sixes every week. If you're if you're balancing the Kansas City Chief Chiefs, the Chief ends, the Kansas City Chiefs defense, if you're balancing the Chief ends out for them. Uh, number two, uh, it's not that you're a Chiefs hater. It's that you're a Raiders realist. That is an understandable reason to pick the Kansas City Chiefs. We all know the Raiders are not allowed to be good at football. And three, Derek Carr is somehow still on pace to have the fourth most passing yards in the history of the NFL this season. Yeah, all things that factor up when you are losing games, you do tend to throw for more yards. But 
Yep. Derek Carr, he's just not the same Derek Carr that we saw very early on. One thing I will say is I know the Chiefs are dealing with another injury in their secondary, so maybe that's something that hurts them moving forward. But overall, I, I think that this is just a good week for Kansas City to continue their winning streak. Fun fact before we close out, Andy Reid in his entire tenure in Kansas City has had a five-game winning streak every single season. So we're seeing that <laughs> in this year. So. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. This tells you how consistent they've been in the Andy Reid era in Kansas City. So Philadelphia fans, close your eyes and turn away because that's the coach that you let go. Yep. Chiefs, Chiefs would be my favorite. New sponsor alert here on the Take It Easy podcast. It is Lightbox Jewelry. Using cutting edge technology and innovative techniques, Lightbox Jewelry has cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds that you can find at a light price of just $800 per carat. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds. Never a dull moment. Wrapping it up there. Too bad he doesn't get to face the Buffalo Bills yeah. each and every week, right? Yeah. Then he would just locked it up weeks ago. I mean, fuck, 32 and three, am I right? Is that the best stat yeah, of this podcast here? Can I produce a different? I like Derek Carr being on pace for the fourth most passing yards in the history of the NFL, which I think is a 17 game season thing, but I'm not sure. Like, it's just, it's, it's kind of funny that that's the case that we, we don't know how to do analysis around stuff like that, where Derek Carr, you know, Derek Carr is throwing for, 5,600 passing yards or something like that. That's that's a pretty good one. I'm trying to think. The Raiders lose this one. They are eliminated officially. You know, part of the thing I wanted to mention in the Raiders Chargers preview was I do worry about Kansas City and the fact that they have the Thursday night turnaround against the Chargers. I know it's a division game, but do you overlook the Raiders in a way considering what you did to them the last time you played? I don't know. I think they can lose to the Raiders and the Chargers. It's not unthinkable in the modern NFL that they lose one of those games, but the Chiefs you should know, win. Especially at AFC win. West matchup i mean anytime you face a division rival you have to be on upset alert yeah you're, you're not going to catch me betting against my boy patty mahomes not to overlook the raiders or overlook the chargers i, I not i not they i got a 10 that. point line in that one again and i guess they did cover this week against the broncos but again you just look at the last two years the chiefs typically don't cover yeah, no, that because because everyone bets the Chiefs, and so Vegas will take all your money betting the Chiefs and keep the line moving up and up and up, and then the Chiefs actually play closer games. It's the reason why the Detroit Lions are eight and four against the spread this year, is because everyone keeps betting against the Lions, and Vegas is like, all right, we'll keep moving this line. That's fine. You want to know ultimate Vegas taking the money there? Eighty percent of betters on the Alabama Georgia game took Georgia. Yep. Vegas, the house always wins. They got so much invested in it. The house always wins. Except if you are the Las Vegas Raiders. Of course. Yeah. No, the the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Again, I think the reason it's 10 points is not necessarily love for the Chiefs. It's principle. The Raiders are not allowed to be good at football. Except 2016, but then Derek Carr has to break his leg. And again, they were still a wild card team that year. It has been 20 years since they've won the AFC West. Again, an AFC West that has had like great teams. The Chargers were great in the 2000s. Peyton Manning's Broncos, the Chiefs now. Like it's it's been a good good time for the AFC West. It's just the Raiders have been crap all the way through. Did you see Dabo got linked to the Raiders? 
Oh, that would be fun. Dabo, Dabo is going to leave. I'll put that out there. I've thrown out some bold takes here. Dabo is going to leave Clemson in the next couple of years. I'm not sure for, for who or for what, but Dabo is going to leave Clemson pretty soon. Dabo's cashed out what he can there. The problem is, okay, so this year he's losing Tony Elliott and he lost Venables. So that's going to instantly and, impact and what this team can do. And Radikovic. And The athletic director's gone. So you lost some pieces around you. So if you were going to leave Clemson, that would make a lot of sense based off people around you. The problem is him making the leap to the NFL. And we've seen it with Urban Myers where Dabo is not necessarily a play caller. Dabo is not beating you with a scheme. Dabo has been beating you with recruiting and being able to keep his guys in the building and not leave for the NFL draft. So does that skill set transfer over? Can he be a GM head coach? It just doesn't feel like a fit, but I could be wrong. I mean, oh, I, I think it's just more of a reason for why he would leave is just because his game is having people. He, he uh, we did, we did the oral history of the Clemson Tigers dynasty this week. I did a lot of research on this. It's basically like they caught lightning in a bottle with the timing of them investing a bunch of money in the football program in 2012 and getting Deshaun Watson to come to Clemson and him being really, really good and almost getting them to a national championship. And then once they got that national championship, they pivoted really well to getting four and five-star recruits, including Trevor Lawrence. You know what? Dabo, you like the color orange, right? I'm just saying. Right here, Texas. Sure. Lead if Sark doesn't turn it around in a couple years, Dabo's out there. I'd be willing to offer Dabo a 10 to $15 million a year contract. Dabo's just waiting for Saban to retire so he can, he can go back home to Alabama. But maybe in the interim, he'll go to... Maybe he can't wait that long. Maybe his reputation won't last because Clemson's never going to win another national championship. I feel very confident saying Clemson is not going to win another national championship under in the next decade. Like that run, that run is a moment in time that's pretty much over at this point, but they can still make the college football playoff every now and then. They're kind of in this second or third tier, like with Notre Dame or Florida on a good year, or I don't know, Oklahoma. They're kind of in that tier now of college teams. Well, I guess it gets hard harder if Miami ends up being much of anything. I guess it gets tougher if Wake Forest continues their running success. I mean, the ACC is, as we mentioned, it's a lackluster conference. So if he could continue being a one-win ACC team or a get undefeated to the ACC and, team, then yes, you get to the playoff. I, I guess it depends. be a 14-point underdog against Bama. <laughs> See, you mentioned it was lightning a bottle. If he keeps some of those five-star guys, if he keeps getting like these dynamic quarterback plays that he got lucky with Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, then that will make or break Clemson seasons. But anyway, man, I know you have to get out of here. I actually have to get out of here too for another podcast. So, all right, we will close it out there. Slump Busters, thank you for staying with us this long. This is definitely on the longer side of our recordings. Leave a like on this if you're watching on YouTube. Leave a five star if you're watching this on Apple iTunes. Leave us a review because we definitely appreciate that. From Kyle Ledbetter and Juju Talk Sports, stay safe, happy, healthy. We will see you on the next one.